You've tuned in to Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? All right, Richard, we're back for another episode of the Mitch and Rich Show. Uh, yeah. You know, this is episode three. And today we have a special guest. We have AZ Power Girl, Karen Nicole, Karen Nicole Trio. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for being on. You know, I just kind of got on Twitter and wanted to ask you if you, you want, just wanted a t-shirt, but I'm so glad that you like, oh, I'd love to be on your podcast. So. I still get a t-shirt though, right? Of course. Yeah, as many t-shirts as you want. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what we do here at Geek Elite Radio, especially this particular podcast, we don't really have a subject that we talk about in particular. We just kind of talk and... Uh, we really like to talk about what it is you geek out about. What do I geek out about? I geek about so many, many things. Um, <laughs> I do a lot of comic book conventions. I do a lot of anime conventions. I do a lot of events. So obviously, you know, I'm going to geek out about those <laughs> and about all the people I get to meet within that. However, I kind of geeking out about politics right now. That's true. You are uh, running for Arizona House Republican. Or representative. House Re- representative. I know how to speak. It's just I'm terrible. <laughs> do you? <laughs> Doesn't sound like you do right now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, what, what district is it that you're running for? So I'm running in District 26. Okay. That is the Mesa, Tempe, uh, Salt River, Pima Reservation, a little bit of Scottsdale, a little bit of Phoenix. So I, mean, I know most of a lot of our... Uh, actual contributors for Geekly Radio live up in this area, so they'll ha- definitely have to look at their ballot and probably vote for you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Wait, so, like, with, uh, and I'm not super familiar with this, so you'll have to forgive me, but, like, so, with you being in that district, is it only people in that district that can obviously then vote for you, right? Like, you couldn't have somebody that was, say, in, I don't know, like, Peoria, right? Because that, would that fall in the same district or no? No, not at all. Okay. So with uh, our legislative districts, they are blocked off to make sure that there are kind of an equal amount of Republicans, Democrats, independents within an area. They want diverse areas. So they they block off the, the districts that way. It's not like they just put down a big old grid. They're all kind of blocked off. And so it's very difficult to say, oh, well, I'm from this street to this street because it might be all over the place in order to make sure that everyone is represented. So that is a very good question. And I'm finding that a lot of people don't know because we are not educated about these things. So this is a great opportunity to educate everyone and help them become more informed voters in their own district. So yes, only people who are registered voters in my district will see me on their ballot. Now, how would someone go about finding their district? Do you have any helpful hints on that? Yes. And, awesome. Uh, I was concerned about that when I first started getting involved. Like, well, how do you know? And really, you Google legislative district locator. And this great thing pops up, and it'll tell you not only your legislative district, but your congressional district, because they are different. That's awesome. So uh, your congressional candidates are the ones that represent the state on a federal level. Your legislative district is your representatives on a state level. So they're two different things and they're completely different candidates. And your uh, your district for the Congress is going to be a lot larger than your legislative district. So we have one U.S. senator, so that goes statewide, and then you have your um, congressional 
candidates in smaller areas. And you can just Google District Locator Arizona and you type in your address and it'll pull up a map and it'll show you your district. It'll tell you what district you're in. It'll tell you what districts your boundaries are in. It'll show you your congressional district as well as your legislative district as well as other legislative and congressional districts. So it's a great way. Just Google it. And you can type in your address and you'll know exactly where you are. That's awesome. We'll have to like put a little link to that in the show notes. That way it's like Definitely. right and there for people. And, that, and the, your election is coming up at the same time as the, uh, as the primary election with the presidential election attached to it, right? Yes. And that is very, very exciting. I mean, I'm not a politician. I didn't jump into this saying, I want to be a politician. I'm a cosplayer. I'm a colorist. I do comic cons. Um, I have a couple of music videos out with Alfred Trujillo. And that's what I do, but I felt that right now we really need a change, especially in my district. So, like I said, I've been doing uh, work with uh, legislative reform in family rights, and I'm like, well, now's the time to get in on this and make a change, put your money where your mouth is. So, I think it's amazing. Yes, I will be on the November 8th ballot. I will be on the same ballot as the next president of the United States. And that is very humbling and very exciting. <laughs> that is awesome. That is that's I, super right? cool. Very yeah, exciting. that's super cool. <laughs> um, how long ago was it that you first started getting into the politic, political world, I guess would be word, word I should say? Well, as far as running for office, it was so random. I mean, it was just kind of a... You see a need and you fill a need. I mean, unfortunately, I feel terrible. I didn't even talk to my husband about it prior to making this decision. I don't even think I talked to myself about it. It was just (laughs) it needs to happen. You know, when you see someone in the dirt and you got to pick them up, you just do it. You act first before you think about it. And that's kind of what I did here. I felt something needed to happen. It needed to happen now. And so that was late February. I believe I signed up for that. But I've been doing legislative work for three years as far as going down and talking to our senators and our house reps and trying to encourage them to pass uh, good legislation for our communities. That is fantastic. And, then, and, I mean, obviously helping someone that's in the dirt, I wouldn't expect anything less from Power Girl. So uh, <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, talking about, or me switching the subject to cosplay, how long is it that you've been doing that? I started cosplaying officially in 2010 with a uh, Justice League group. We had a very small group of people and we would do little events where we'd collect toys for tots and we would take pictures with kids at museums and that started turning into, hey, you wanna come to this movie premiere? Okay, cool. And then I was like, hey, Phoenix Comic Con is coming up. Let's go do that. Well, we don't have any money. Well, hey, we're a charity group, we're a 503C, so why don't we sign up and get a free table? And we did that and I was Power Girl the whole weekend. It was the only costume I had at the time. And I had no idea how much positive feedback I would get. I won Geek Prom Queen (laughs) at the Kids Need to Read uh, Geek Prom. It was so exciting. And it was before it got to the point where it is now, where people are signing up early and they're running out of space. It was, you want to be in this contest? Get in this line. Okay, I'm going to go get in this line. My friend's like, you totally won. I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> no way, I didn't win. That's ridiculous. And apparently it was uh, Adam Baldwin who was one of the judges. And I heard later that the chatter, the way it went was, you know, he was watching everyone go up and she wins. And it was just that fast. <laughs> and so I thanked him in the, in the bar afterwards. And it was a very wonderful, hum- humbling experience. And then it got better when the next year I crowned the new geek prom queen 
And the friend that I was with the year that I won, I got to crown her because she won. So it was so exciting that I kind of got to pass the reins on to someone that was important to me. Nice. Yeah, that's a great, great story. Um, with uh, the way that you, you're talking about with uh, doing cosplay, the bigger thing is, that, you know, that you get to talk to all the children, you know, they get to come up to you and, and be in the pictures and stuff like that. Is, is that what kind of helps make it all that much better or worth it kind of thing is what I'm trying to say? That is the best part of cosplay. So uh, years ago, I started a panel at Amazing Arizona Comic Con, and I called it Anyone Can Be a Superhero. Because there were people saying, oh, I don't feel like I can get in this costume. You know what? When a child looks at you, no matter what your build, no matter what your race, all they see is their superhero. They see Superman. They see Wonder Woman. They see Wolverine, The Flash. They don't care. To them, this is their hero come to life and... I know that the events that I've done at the homeless school events, there have been children in tears because they are so happy that they get to meet their superhero. And that, that alone is worth it. That's a, yeah, that was to say, I, I, I saw a picture, um, I think it was a picture of video or something on Facebook where there was these, uh, I believe they were like firefighters or law enforcement and they were like repelling off the side of this children's hospital to like hang out by the windows, but they were dressed as like Captain America and, you Spider-Man know, things like that. like that. And my first thought was, well, you know, Captain America wouldn't be really like hanging from a window. But then I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not the point. The point is you see these kids just like light up and they're just like you know, so over the top with joy. And like, it's like, that's really what's incredible. And I think it's kind of unfortunate because I would say kind of outside of the geek community, if you will, like there's a lot of people that kind of look at cosplay and are like, oh, well, I don't understand it or I don't get why people do it. And it's really easy to understand when you put it like that. It's it's definitely to give that positive joy to all these other people that look at these heroes and really just kind of get overwhelmed by that experience. And I think that there's a lot of people that maybe don't pay enough attention to that. So I think that's great to hear you kind of mention that and bring that up. I think it's fantastic. I think that it's also interesting. To, I, I don't know. I think that there's, uh, at least what I've read, is that there's, you know, studies of people when they get to dress up like that, that's also helping them in their own self-esteem. So, you know, it's it's not completely a uh, selfless act, but, you know, it's it's awesome when a kid does come up to you and it's just like, oh, you're my favorite because they don't see the imperfections that you see. They see the character that you're representing, and and they love it because that's who they grew up with or they're growing up with. Um, you also said you're a colorist, so between uh, cosplaying and uh, music videos and colorists and stuff, how do you find the time to do also your politics um, or your political? <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of happened, and I think that whenever you make something a priority, then it'll happen. Uh, I've had a lot of people who have been very, very kind in uh, waiting for their commissions because they do understand that I'm trying to do something for the greater good of everybody. So I think that people just respect that, hey, you know what, I understand that you're campaigning. I'll wait a little bit extra on my uh, color piece. Does it, does it make it that much different for your uh, the fact that you're such a creative person to work in the politic, political side of the world? I don't know. Um, I think I'm kind of a loud mouth. And I think that that's definitely to my advantage because I'm going to make sure that our voices are heard. 
So I think that my experience as a cosplayer and being out there and um, having criticism for being a cosplayer or, you know, having people come and talk to me, speaking a lot to strangers, I think that's definitely advantageous in the political world because I have experience with public speaking. I have experience with talking to people who are interested in what I have to say. I have experience listening. I find that that is one of the biggest things that people want. They want to be heard. And I am here if you need to talk. I will listen. I mean, obviously, if you go ahead and came on our podcast, <laughs> you're, you're willing to, to talk and listen. So that's awesome. With the different conventions you've gone to, and what are the, some of the best places that you've gone? Not convention-wide, but just like, you know, travel to. Do you know, like, sorry to jump in there, but yeah, do, you, do you have any idea, like, how many conventions you've done at this point? Or have you just, is it just so many that you've lost track at this point? It's got to be a lot, I would imagine, right? You know, I never thought to count. And that's one of those things. <laughs> how many cosplays have you done? I don't know. I didn't count. Yeah. How many conventions have you done? I don't know. I didn't count. Right. And I should have. I did 37 conventions and events last year alone. Oh, my gosh. That's Remember, so Remember, this awesome. is my full-time job. Yeah. This is how I make a living. So I do have to go to a lot of events. I get, do get invited to a lot of events, and I really enjoy it. And I want to be there for people. I want to be able to sign their uh, their prints in person. I want to be able to give everyone a hug and take pictures with them. And we're all in this together. This is a community. And that's I think that's what we try and strive here. You know, the, mm-hmm. the community of all of us coming together. Whatever it is you geek out about, it doesn't have to be comic books or television shows or movies or stuff. If you if you love books, if you love working on cars, it's, we want to hear from you. So it's so awesome to hear uh, another aspect of geekdom uh, being you know politics or cosplay or something like that. So it's it's that is pretty amazing. But. With uh, the idea of uh, you know the different cons that you've gone to, what, what are some? What are, do you have any great stories that you'd love to pass along? I've got some interesting stories. Um, one of the things I love to do whenever I have a chance is to check out the communities. And I know a lot of people when they go uh, as a tourist to a new location, they want to see all the sites and they want to see everything. I want to see where the people live. I want to see your ghettos. I want to see how. Things are structured. I want to see, like, okay, one of my favorite places is Chinatown in Chicago. And I think it's so fascinating when I see an entire wall that has been duct taped together. That is interesting to me. And you would be very surprised that El Paso has a big rave-style nightlife community. Really? Oh, yeah. You walk around El Paso in the middle of the night, (laughs) and you start seeing flashing lights coming out of places, (laughs) and you hear rave music. I had no idea. Juarez, Mexico. People are always like, oh, be safe, be careful. I love Juarez. And I always have a fantastic time there. And I'm really surprised if you look at their Playland at a fast food place in Juarez. It's huge. They have so much that is child-friendly and child-based. Oh, wow. That you wouldn't think of these things. Uh, Hell's Kitchen in New York. They don't need Daredevil. Or (laughs) Jessica Jones. They cleaned it all up. <laughs> I was actually disappointed. I'm like, wow. Did hmm. you go in there as Electro and you're just like ready to do do some damage? But then they were like, it's already done. It's clean. It kind of did. I was in Electro, but I was in my plain clothes. And I'm on the roof of my friend's uh, building. And we're looking around. He's like, yeah, the gays came in and cleaned it all up. <laughs> well, there goes my crime fighting. <laughs> oh, Times Square is always fun. We did shoot some of my music video on Times Square. 
and uh, there are people there that are performers, street performers, a lot like the Las Vegas Strip. Very, very well lit. They say New York is the city that doesn't sleep. Let me tell you, every city sleeps. <laughs> Las Vegas, the Strip, 3, 4 a.m., it's starting to die down. <laughs> you really can only go on that roller coaster until 10 p.m. Ah. Don't tell me you're the city that doesn't sleep. You stay open 24 hours, damn it. <laughs> so uh, the same thing with Times Square. You go there on a Sunday night. Around 1, 2 in the morning, it's dead. Every city sleeps at some point. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine just to be going 24-7 anywhere, but I mean... Could you imagine the economy if it did? (laughs) Think about it. We've got blackout curtains. We could absolutely have a 24-hour society, especially here in Arizona, when all of our construction work in the warmer months is done in the middle of the night. Yep, it's very true. We could triple our economy. By going to a 24-hour idea. Right. So by progressing along those lines, we absolutely... Could you imagine? You have companies that are running 24 hours. You've got production going for 24 hours. So, I don't know. It's interesting to me because, like, I've, like... I've always like kind of wanted to do like cosplay, and I know you have done some, Mitch, because I, I know have. you you have like some awesome photos of you as like Kingpin <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but like, I don't know. I guess the thing is, is like, where do you, where would you suggest even like for people to start with something like that? Like, if maybe they have kind of that drive, but they're kind of like, oh, I can't really, I don't know how to sew, or I don't really know how to do any of that stuff. Like, do you have any like advice that you could give people that want to dive into that and want to try, you know, try their hand at that sort of thing? Absolutely. I think that thrift stores are fantastic. Uh, Reduce, reuse, recycle. Thrift stores are one of my favorite, favorite places to get uh, get things started. If people are uncomfortable and maybe don't want to jump into a very expensive, very intricate costume, then closet cosplays are great. Uh, Jessica Jones is a really great cosplay for women uh, who want to get started. You could do a Cyclops with maybe an X-Men t-shirt pair of red sunglasses. So there are ways that you can get started in an inexpensive, uh, you know, starter cosplay if you want to expand into something more and you don't want to put the craftsmanship into it because guess what? (laughs) Big shock here. You do not have to make it. I make what I can on my own. I do have a few pieces I commissioned or that have been donated to me, but there is no rules about that. This isn't cause fabrication. This is cause play. It's about dressing up in costume and playing. And if you don't have the time or the drive to make something and you just want to dress up and, you know, be that character, you can commission someone. And when you do that, you're helping the cosplay economy by, you know, by providing, a, getting a service provided by someone who is a craftsman. You're paying them. You're helping the community in that way. So I always recommend going to a uh, person who does make costumes as opposed to going to the store and buying them. But you know what? If you want to go to Party City or get some clearance Halloween costumes, I don't care. It's about having fun. And that's really one of the things we need to remember. We need to keep the drama in the comics, keep the drama in the movies and the TV shows. Stop fighting each other. Support each other in what we want to do. And if you want to go to Party City or whatever and buy a costume and wear it to a Comic-Con, do it. Have fun. Whatever's going to be the most affordable, comfortable, and enticing to you to get you out there and cosplay. Awesome. And you said you do, um, obviously, some panels and things like that when you go to conventions. Are those, like, specifically just about cosplay or, like, 
do you just kind of cover all sorts of different topics with those? Do you talk about your colorist work too? or From time to time. It really depends on the panel. For the most part, my panels are cosplay-based, but I talk a lot about the business of cosplay because mm-hmm. it is new, and you get a lot of people saying, well, how does this work? Right. And there's a lot of things they don't understand as far as ownership of photographs, um, photo editing. A lot of people are like, hey, they took this picture and yay, I had this person. And then they get it sent to them eight months later and it's low resolution and it hasn't mm. been cleaned up or edited or it doesn't fit a format that is appropriate to be printable right. or affordable to be printable and they don't know where to go. So one of the things I've been advocating for is cosplay being considered a legitimate art form because it is. Absolutely. It is a legitimate art form and I want to see it progress in that realm. So I teach people about the legalities, who owns your photographs, how do you make sure that you own your photographs, what you can and can't sell, paying your taxes. A lot of these types of things, uh, they think, oh, you just dress up in a costume and someone's going to pay you. It doesn't work that way. Right. I'll get asked, well, how much does cosplay pay? It depends on who you are and what you're doing. There's not a cosplay company where you can just go and work a 40-hour work <laughs> week dressing up in costume. So it's all very freelance. So I, I teach a lot about that kind of thing as well as uh, promoting that anyone can cosplay for any reason that they want. So with that then, I mean, obviously I would just assume based on what you're saying, like you obviously have probably your own LLC for this, I would imagine, or some degree of business establishment for that. Would that be correct? Yes, it is. And then like with that, like um, I, I would be curious to hear a little bit more about it. So with the whole rights to the photos thing, like how, yeah, do you want to give us a little bit more on that? Because I, I, me, I try to, I'm trying to get a little bit more into photography and things like that. So I think that actually is some really good information if you don't mind sharing that with us. He who pushes the button owns the photo. Cool. So that means that if you hand your cell phone to someone else for them to take a picture of you, the person who pushed that button legally owns that photo. And people are saying, yeah, they're like, yes, it is. It's not that big of a deal. No one's going to come after you for it. There was a cosplayer who was on Facebook saying, hey, what do I do about this? It looks like someone used a photo of me for their cosplay book that they're selling on Amazon. And it looks like it was taken at my booth at DragonCon. Well, too bad. You're in a place that has disclaimers stating that photos will be taken, that that's the way it is, and if you don't want that to happen, don't be here. Right. It is their photo, unless it's your photo. If it is their photo, they own it. They can do that. Now, if you're a cosplayer and you want the rights to that photo, you either have to have an agreement with the photographer to resell those photos, or uh, depending, most likely you need to pay them. Mm-hmm. Even if you pay them a dollar, something that transfers that ownership to you for reproductive purposes and resale value. Right. Very nice. It was funny when you were talking about, because the fact that he brought up that I, I had done a few cosplays, uh, the, the whole sewing thing, because I can't sew a stitch. So all I did was I did all my piecing together. I, my Kingpin and uh, Bizarro was just makeup. So uh, the time I did do Beast with the blue fur, I did get someone else to sew it. So that's, uh, it's interesting because I do remember, uh, I think that was like one of my first ones was, was Beast. And I, I went to one of the, um, one of the, the, the contests that they have at a, at a con. And one of the things they asked me is, did you sew it yourself? And I was like, no, I had someone else sew it for me. And it really seemed like they kind of went down on me for that. And I was just like, well, I don't know how to sew, but I love doing this. So I don't understand why that was a, uh, a down play or a, a, a fault but I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up that if because i think if you get it out there and you get uh you ask more people to 
be a part of it by you know commissioning them to to sew up the costumes, then it's not going to look. It's not like if if you go to another person, they're not going to be like, no, I don't want to do something like that. You know, I don't want my work to be uh, work doing for cosplay. It becomes more of a regular thing, is what I'm trying to say. Exactly, and uh, costume contests have become more and more competitive with uh, armor creation. Um, you know, it's really expanding, and so yeah, it is becoming more and more a question of did you make it? So typically, if you didn't make something, you might be going for a performance aspect. And really, big tip, if you want a leg up in costume com- contests, performance, performance, performance. Because that, if, if you tie someone on creativity and on your costume, your performance could give you that boost. So you didn't make it yourself. One of the things that I do, just a little on the craftsman side here, I will use other pieces as patterns. So maybe you have a shirt, a pair of pants that you really like, and you can use that as a pattern. You can even go over it. So you're doing the beast, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you take a long sleeve shirt and you fabric glue your fur to the outside. Uh-huh. Or you cut it up and use it as a pattern to recreate that. And so say you don't want to sew. There is this wonderful thing called glue. <laughs> <laughs> How does glue hold up in the, in the Arizona heat? Uh, it depends on your glue. Uh, E6000 <laughs> is pretty good. Uh, it's uh, stretchy, and it'll work along those lines. If you're just doing it for seams and touching things together, it's usually fine. Yeah, because that's one thing about the Phoenix Comic Con every year. It's right in the middle of summer, or at least when it's getting really hot. So I never want to do an actual costume when it's that hot. But you do that for Fan Fest, or you do it for Tucson right, Comic exactly, Con, or yeah. Yuma. Yeah. Seems like, like if you did kind of like the full body paint, too, like... In the Arizona heat, it seems like you'd have to use a really like specific paint so that it didn't just start melting off you when you were. Use the powder set. Is that yeah. what it yeah. is? Yeah, that's I, I used that the first year I did. And it just like there, it doesn't. It doesn't smear off. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, unless you get to start know. to smear it off, like with your hand or something. <laughs> well, don't do that. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like for for you specifically, when you approach, like I'm just trying to get behind the mindset of it, but like when you. So you went to 37 cons last uh, year is what you're saying. And so when you have a specific con that's coming up, do you kind of create like, do you kind of sit down each, you know, new year and and kind of roadmap out which con you want to cosplay what character for? Or like, how do you approach like what character you want to actually cosplay? Is it just characters that you yourself love or is it? Yeah, because last year I think I saw you did a lot of Domino. That was a lot of uh, this year was Domino. Was it? Oh, mm-hmm. I guess we are going to the end of the, end of the yeah, year. Yeah, uh, I did Domino, and that was I debuted that at Albuquerque, and it was a suggestion from a photographer that I work with a lot. He's like, you know, you can do Domino. I'm like, huh. So I took all the pieces from other costumes, and I put it together for the Domino, and I'm like, yeah, I'll try it out in Albuquerque. They're, they're kind of like my second home con, and nice. so I try a lot of new things with them, and it really took off. I actually, even the wig was my old Superboy gender bend wig that I just cut with a razor blade because I wanted that choppy look that she has sometimes. Yeah. And it worked out really well. I got a lot of requests for it, and I do conventions all over the place, so people don't get to see me in the same thing, and they all have their requests. And So when I decide what I'm going to cosplay in the first place, it kind of just comes out of what I enjoy, uh, what... Sometimes things are recommended to me, and I'm, like, thinking about it, saying, yeah, you know what? I really like this, and why not? Maybe it's something I didn't think of uh, myself. So that's kind of where that gets 
coming from. As far as what I'm going to wear to a convention, a lot of times depends on how I'm traveling. Am I driving? Am I flying? Uh, if I'm flying, I have to take into consideration between art and backdrop and um, makeup and toiletries and you know all of these things that I need to bring to a convention. What can I pack? What will TSA not destroy? <laughs> right. That's so a huge true. thing. TSA will absolutely destroy a costume because mm. they don't know what this stuff is. Right. So I have to take into consideration what I can wear there. Um, Cheyenne. They, the, one of the owners is a gunshot victim. So I had to make sure I was like, you know what? I respect this woman. I love her to death. She's like family to me. I will not wear any cosplays that have guns. So I wore, uh, I wore Daphne from Scooby-Doo cause my friend was there and doing Velma. So, you know, whenever we're together, we try to do things that we can do like that. If we have costumes that, co- you know, complement each other. I did power girl and I did, uh, Psylocke. As opposed to doing domino or anything like that because I'm not going to do a weapon-based cosplay Mm -hmm. because of my respect for her and the community. So if you had um, someone that was maybe, I guess, kind of... uh, I'm trying to think of the appropriate way. Maybe like an intermediate cosplayer that's looking to move, like you said, into that professional realm that's looking to try and generate, uh, you know, a source of, of livable income off of that. Like... What what would you maybe suggest? Would you suggest more of like because I think and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you I think you said most of your um, stuff comes from like your prints and selling those prints and things. But I mean, obviously, I think the appearances and stuff too play a big part into that and getting out there. But what kind of like advice would you maybe give someone that's trying to make that leap from kind of the intermediate into you know essentially the semi professional or even professional realm of cosplay? Well, that gets very difficult because it's kind of like saying, well, I want to be a rock star. Right. And I'm not comparing myself to that at all, but really it is like that. You know, people don't go in saying, I want to make a living. They go in saying, I want to make money and I want to be famous and I want to be rich and I want to be cute and I want people to love me and I don't want to actually do anything for it. Uh, The people that do make a living. Right there. That was me. (laughs) People that do make it, they work very, very hard. Right. And. You have to treat it like a job. It is a difficult industry. Not everyone is going to be guested at everything. Sure. If you can't make money while paying your dues, as in if you can't pay to buy a table, travel, and get a room and profit, your chances of making it are very slim and you need to reconsider your business design. Um very few cosplayers get paid for everything to the point where they are profiting completely from that. And how long could they, how could they last if it wasn't being paid for? You have to ask yourself that question because I do know a lot of people like they'll hit up conventions and they'll say, well, this was a big deal with Santa Fe, uh, that they're getting letters all the time. Oh, you need to have me up as guest and I have this many fans and da, 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 da. And they're like, well, what are you bringing to my convention? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll say, well, okay, well, you know what? Sell this many uh, tickets. Sell this many booth space. And I'll give you a free space, but you're paying your own way on everything else. And they're like, well, how am I supposed to make money? Uh, you're supposed to be good enough on your own. Mm-hmm. Right. You're supposed to be good enough uh, to be able to profit. Because the reality is there are artists who, that's what they do. They buy their tables. They pay for their prints. They pay for their travel. They... I don't see any difference between a cosplayer that does that as well 
some people think that it's kind of shameful to do that because, well, you should be a guest, otherwise you're not good enough. And, you know, I'm both. I'm a guest at some, I pay my own way at some. Sometimes, I, a lot of times, I prefer to pay my own way because when you're a guest, then you're spending three to five hours doing their costume contest. You're not at your table. Right. Oh, I didn't see you because you were never at your table because you're at the costume contest. You're at panels, 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 more costume contests, prejudging, this, that, and the other. And, you know, and then you have to be at the after parties. And then you're tired. Well, <laughs> when I pay my own way, I don't have to do that. You don't have any obligations. I don't have obligations except to what I want to do, which is I want to be with the fans. People can come and talk to me. They can spend time with me. We can socialize and communicate. Gesundheit. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> uh, that, that's. I mean, that that sounds all great. Yeah, with uh, the idea of you paying your own way or yeah. being being a guest. So, like, okay, I'm I'm just so fascinated by this because I really don't I don't I don't know a whole lot about it. So just, <laughs> I'm like I mean I've obviously seen it because I've you know been to Comic Con, but um, but yeah. So I mean you know with that and kind of paving your own way and building your fan base would. Would you say that perhaps a lot of that comes... Because I know, like, the big thing, you know, because I'm trying to get into filmmaking, and the big thing there is, oh, you got to have social media, you got to have social media. I would imagine that's got to be the same for cosplay, I would think. But then again, I think you also have another kind of venue open to you with going to the conventions. Is there one that you kind of favor over the other? Like, obviously, meeting people in person, but would you say one plays a heavier outcome in your ability to do what you do uh, as a profession? That's a really great question. And I think that social media is becoming more prevalent, Mm -hmm. especially with things like Twitch, Periscope, YouTube, because they can see you. People want to interact with you. Right. Um, There is nothing better than interacting in person with someone. I do know some cosplayers who have many, many, many more fans than I do. But they don't financially profit from that very much because it's just likes and shares. Likes and shares online do not equal income. Right. They don't. No, it's not um, true. For me, really, being up close and personal is much more powerful to me. I enjoy it. I can talk to people. I love when people, you know, they'll come to me pregnant and then they'll come to me six months later or a year later with their new baby and I get to hold them and play with them and then they'll bring their children back time and time again and I get to watch them grow and, you know, watch their own costuming and watch families cosplay together. And, you know, people will message me, hey, you know, my husband had a heart attack or hey, you know, the guy that brought you this, we met you at this con, he passed away. And Mm. I feel like I have an opportunity to really get personally involved with people, which actually goes back to politics and my representation of them. I have a really great um, opportunity to get to know real people, their real lives and their real needs. So that's great. Social media is fantastic and it's a great way to reach out to a lot of people at the same time. There is a lot of downside because there's negativity. Sure. If you look through a cosplayer's page that has tons and tons of likes, you're going through their um, their comments, and a lot of them are, hey, great costume, this is so much fun, oh my god, I want to see you again, oh, this is so great, wonderful. And then you got, oh, you're a whore, oh, why do you have to dress like that? Hey, don't be message- messing around with my husband, which is a real funny one, because if someone shares something of a cosplayer's, mm-hmm. you know, especially an attractive, you know, sexy cosplayer shares it, then their family or friends might see it. Mm-hmm. 
and then they think that you posted something to them. Right. Right. Especially a lot of the older people. They don't understand. When I say older, I'm talking about like older, older people. They right. don't understand. And I've actually seen conversations on um, on my on my posts from people who think that something got posted on theirs and it didn't. It was just someone that they were associated with, liked it or shared it. Right. They saw it. And now they're having these whole conversations with each other. You know, oh, oh are you going to be at this event? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go. Let's go quilting over at the Beehive tomorrow. <laughs> and it's really funny, and you're watching this conversation go, and a lot of people delete it, but I'm just entertained by this happening. <laughs> you know, so I think I got sidetracked. But, yeah, I think it's just a matter of what you're comfortable with. Sure. Um, it's one thing to be comfortable online when you don't have to see someone face-to-face. It's another thing when you're at a convention and people get to see you. Uh, I remember my first time at San Diego, someone came up to me and they said, Hey, are you a you're easy power girl, right? And I said, yeah, hi. He said, okay, thank you, bye. <laughs> he was so nervous. And I'll get messages about that. And now I can see him at conventions. Hey, how yeah. are you doing? And give him a hug and whatever. And it's just so funny because people be like, well, I saw you at this con and I was kind of intimidated. Never be intimidated to come talk to me. Please always come talk to me. I will talk your ear off. <laughs> Eventually you're going to be like, can you shut up so I can go now? <laughs> Well, uh, I'm not going to lie. That was me last year at FanFest because uh, <laughs> last year I was like, we just started the whole Geekly Radio Network and I was going to be like, I should walk up and see if she'd want to be on the podcast. And I, I ended up just coming up and asking for a business card and walking away. And you were like, yeah, take a business card. Would you like to talk about something? I was like, no, I can't talk. I gotta go. Yeah, no. So here's the thing. <laughs> FanFest last year was still over at the, um, at the stadium. Yeah. Yes. FanFest is very cold. Mm-hmm. You're kind of a big guy. <laughs> I need the hugs to keep me warm. I am always cold. Always come up and hug me because it will keep me warm, please. Oh, well, <laughs> there you go. Now you know. <laughs> so I guess that's another thing that's interesting, though, especially because you've obviously been doing this for quite a while. I mean, what's that experience like for you to like not only watch you know, your fan base grow, but to watch these conventions grow. Cause I mean, you're seeing it kind of more obvious, more prevalently than we would even be seeing From it. Cause you know, obviously we try to go to as many as we can, but we're, you know, not really doing this super professionally yet. So, so I mean, that's gotta be a pretty cool experience though, right? To, to experience that I would assume. Well, I'm seeing a rise and a fall at the same okay. time. So now, um, C2E2 in Chicago is a really great example. It is, supposed to be on par with New York Comic Con. They're both done by ReadProp, so they're both done by the same company. And I remember last time I was there this year, there were empty booths on top of empty booths. Hmm. So as a vendor, you feel like, well, wait a minute, there's all these empty booths, and where are the people? Because the uh, economy has actually gone down in the Comic Con sector right now. Really? Oh, yeah, it happens every time there's a big presidential election, Mm. as well as people are starting to think that Comic-Cons are a big cash cow. Hmm. Does anyone remember Internet stock? (laughs) Right? Same kind of thing. So Um, so true. So, you know, sorry, it's like people are like, I'm such a geek because I like comics. No, I'm the geek because I'm the one watching documentaries and telling you about the financial aspect (laughs) behind it. You know? So, like, I'm like the nerdiest of nerds. Uh, But... Yeah, so when you when you go to a convention, you see empty booths, and you see that the um, the the fan base is down coming to the cons because there are multiple other conventions going on at the same time. Mm. When you start competing with other cons, 
You're just hurting yourself. You're right. hurting the entire community. And I'll see areas that should only have one, maybe two a year being flooded. Wizard World is a great example. They lost over $8 million last year. Oh. Was it $8 million or billion? I think it was a million. Million? Yeah, it was like $8 million. Because what they do is they try to go into every area. Like Tahoe, Reno. Reno. Um, they actually even went into Albuquerque. Now... This is a really good, forgive my nerdiness, people are going to be like, never go through this. So <laughs> Albuquerque is a community where the average con goer spends $100 on their convention experience. That includes their ticket, that includes their parking, which is usually free because it's Albuquerque and they're a pretty laid back community when it comes to that, and purchasing things at the convention. $100. Now, Wizard World, they bought out Ace, which was uh, Albuquerque Comic Expo. And that was in the summer, and they bought Ace, and they were like, okay, well, we're going to bring in Edward James Olmos, and everyone went, are you kidding me? You have another convention going on in San Francisco that same weekend where you have all the Walking Dead people, you have all these other people, and you're going to bring us Edward James Olmos. We had him here two years ago with another convention, and they felt it was very disrespectful. Like, what, you're going to bring Edward James Olmos because it's New Mexico? Are you trying to say something here? You think everyone's going to swoon there? They charged $300 for a table. Most Albuquerque conventions... For an artist table, most Albuquerque conventions only charge about $100 to $150. Uh, they didn't want to give free parking to their volunteers. Oh, my gosh. They recommended they carpool. They don't want to feed them, but they'll give you all the water you want. You have to remember you're in a community that is highly populated with people who are under the poverty level. Mm -hmm. They enjoy comic cons. They have a very strong fandom. They'll do what they can to help promote it. I have some wonderful people in Albuquerque. So for Wizard World to come in and try to uh, take their money that way and not understand or respect the financial needs of the community is just ridiculous. And that's what I'm seeing happening. They're kind of your Walmart of Mm. comic cons. That's not good. It's not good. So they don't care about the community. They're looking right. at it as a cash cow, and they lost money. So the reality is, is they ended up canceling their show. Oh, wow. Because everyone went kind of screw this, because they have uh, Albuquerque Comic Con in the winter, and they have Santa Fe Comic Con in the fall. So Ace isn't needed, and Wizard right. World isn't needed. So sure, you own a monopoly on what? On something that no one's coming to anyway? Right. So, and I've seen that happen in other communities. I've done uh, Portland Wizard World. I've also done Rose City. Rose City is a community show that was put on by the people who did Emerald City in Seattle. So even though it wasn't the same neighborhood, it's still community-based conventions. And uh, they and people do better at Rose City than they do at, at Wizard World. So personally, I'm not a Wizard World person because of that, because I don't like what they do with the communities. I don't like that they charge so much for people who are making so little. Mm-hmm. They also don't like cosplayers exhibiting in Artist Alley. Hmm. So, hmm. And this is something that I've seen across the board in quite a few conventions that they say, well, cosplayers need to buy, buy a booth. A booth could be anywhere from... Five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! And a cosplayer will typically make less money unless they're in the big, 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 huge, top, top people. Right. So don't go there and talk about. Oh, but what about Negri? What about Ivy? What about me? No, they're in a different category. Right. Your average person who's going to go and buy a booth, just like your average artist, you can't compare, um, you know, Mark May to Chad Harden. 
Right. And if you don't know the name Mark made, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the point. <laughs> Chad Harden draws Harley Quinn. Right. He, you know, he gets guested. He's very famous. Mark May is a newbie. So you can't compare that. Why can't a new cosplayer come in and buy a table that's $100, $200? But no, you want them to spend $1,000 on something that they're not going to make that money from? Right. It's absurd. Now, I will say, there are some misconceptions that cosplayers will typically try to sell things like knickknacks and buttons and bows and costumes. If that's the case, yes, they should be in a booth because now their profit margin is higher because they're selling much more expensive pieces. For anyone that knows Vegas PG, uh, her husband has a company where they sell a lot of steampunk gear and leatherworking. And yes, they do buy booths because they have corsetry and hats and bracelets and all these ex- extravagant, expensive pieces. So they are going to make money to compensate for that as well as need a larger space. But if someone's just selling, selling prints, leave them alone, let them go to Artist Alley. Yeah, because yeah. you're never going to... Yeah, I mean, unless you're selling like ridiculously expensive prints at like, you know, a couple hundred dollars a pop or something outrageous, which you probably that? wouldn't sell that many of anyway, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's totally a ridiculous situation to expect that. I mean, that's a little crazy in my opinion. But with that, if you're going to put them on large canvases, you're going to need a larger space. You're going to need that's a booth. That's true. I haven't seen this sort of thing done. But if you are to that caliber where that you're going to do that, right. absolutely get a booth. So it's about it's about practicality in the space that you're allocated. So and and that's a, a good question too, I guess, because I mean, are your prints that you sell typically like? Like eight by ten, or I mean, have you? I think you just mentioned you didn't ever print anything super big on canvas, but is that something you would consider? Very rarely, I will do it. Uh, mostly on special order, right? Or special request. My biggest size-wise things that I've sold are my banners. People, hey, can I buy your banner? Absolutely, buy my banner. <laughs> uh, we were my husband's banner actually got sold. I was putting up our display a show a month ago or so, and I'm like. Where is your banner? Oh, yeah, we sold it. <laughs> so I will sell banners. Feel free. I mean, I will, I'll sell you a banner off my booth. I don't care. Um, because I can go make another one. And right. I want to see them go to someone that is going to appreciate it. Absolutely. Why would I not want these things to go to someone who's going to appreciate my art form? Uh, but typically my prints are 11 by 17. Oh, okay. Um, I have a lot of product. I actually had to clean out my online store. They're like, you have exceeded your maximum 500 <laughs> products. I'm like, oh, well, we got to delete some stuff. And, of course, the minute I do that, I can't find your T-shirts anymore. It's like, I don't have any more. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so typically they're 11 by 17. I did start getting requests for 8 by 11, 8, uh, 8 by 10. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing. Okay, business cosplay tip here. I see a lot of cosplayers do this. They'll do 8.5 by 11 prints. Hmm. Now think about it. When you celebrity sign something for you, what size is it? I would say eight, I would say eight, eight, eight by, by ten. ten. Yeah. It's an eight by ten. Your frame guess. is eight by ten. Right. Eight and a half by eleven is a piece of paper size. It's um, printer paper it's size. It's not gonna fit in a standard it, frame. Thank you. Yeah. It's not gonna fit in a standard frame and they all go, Oh. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, no. You're going to have to either go to Ikea and get those little kitty frames that they have for like $2, yep. or you're going to have to usually get a document frame. Mm. Nobody wants to do that. People that do celebrity photos will a lot of times have a binder, 8 by 10, 8 by 10, 8 by 10, 8 by 10. So I have my 11 by 17s as my regular posters, but I also have 8 by 10s for people that have them on request, and I have very few of those because I try to keep things uniform because you got to consider your, your packing and your space behind your table. 
11 by 17, the boxes that they come in when you order from the printer, or you can even ask your printer if you don't get them in a box for their leftover paper boxes, will fit in one of the uh, carry-on suitcases. Oh, So you can carry them on the plane if you're worried about your product getting lost or if you're dealing with uh, having minimal ability to pack things. I will tell you, though, you should put some plain paper or I use file folders that I open up to make like a file box of my prints because I do have so many different ones. Because if you have a thick stack of prints and you run that through TSA, it's going to come up as a bomb. Oh, wow. And they will rummage through your stuff, and they will put everything back in the wrong place. So put some dividers in there hmm. that are plain paper. It's the ink. Oh. It's the heavy ink that, that makes sense. is on top of each other. And here I am talking about like all these nerdy things that no one wants to talk about. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, on the business side again of, uh, of cosplay, with I, I don't know if, how, how accurate it was, but I remember hearing not too long ago when... There was a big, I don't know about scare, but there was a big thing to, to do about uh, whether or not. I know what you're talking about. Is cosplay going to be illegal? Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Now this gets back into Wait, politics. What is this? Well, yes. the idea was that the, the character is owned by whoever owns it and you're wearing oh, a costume. Oh, so like copyright so, infringement yeah. of their trademark or something? Exactly. Interesting. This is very fascinating. <laughs> now, what this was, and this goes into politics, so this kind of goes with both of it. Yeah. Nobody actually reads legislation. (laughs) Read the paperwork. Don't follow social media. If you see something on social media that says, hey, this is what's going on, and everyone's freaking out about it, look it up. Read the legal paperwork behind it. So here's the thing. There was chatter about a year ago that they were going to make cosplay illegal. Guess what? They can't do that. So this was from a case that went to the Supreme Court regarding cheerleading uniforms. Mm. Yes. Because there was a company who made a uniform that looked similar to another company's uniform. And the other company was like, well, that's my uniform and you can't steal that idea. And they're like, no, this is clothing. And there is no legislation in regards to protecting the patent of clothing. Could you imagine if the guy that created pants patented that? (laughs) Nobody else can make pants. You can only buy it from this one guy. It's going to go the way of the EpiPen. It's going to be $8 million for a pair of pants. Uh, I tell you what, if I ever invent a time machine... I know what I'm going to go back and try to patent now. <laughs> Toilet pants. paper. Oh, well, there you go. That's part two. <laughs> Toilet paper and pants. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where that came out. And the Supreme Court had decided and ruled <laughs> that no clothing is a regular use item, like a lamp or a chair. Right. And you can't own that. Which is very funny because then you start getting into Monsanto and owning like genetic corn, corn yeah, and right. stuff. But that's a different yeah. subject. So yeah. <laughs> you cannot own these things. However, you can own specific symbols. Superman symbol, the diamond with the S, yeah. they can own that. The Batman symbol, they can own that. Can they own a lightning bolt across the, the, the bodysuit of Ms. Marvel? Yes or no? I'm going to say no. No, because it's a lightning no. bolt. Okay. <laughs> so... And that's why that's one of those costumes you can find hmm. that you can order from China. So you cannot patent a leotard. You cannot patent a black leotard with no sleeves and a neck. You can't patent the gold lightning bolt across it. You right. can't patent these color schemes. So that in that respect, you cannot patent these things. Now, personally, I'm, I dress up as Power Girl. This is my most known cosplay. 
am I violating copyright? No, because you can't patent the clothing because it is an article of clothing. The one shoulder cape design, here's the thing. If you're going to patent a character that way, legally you have to get very, very specific. Power Girl in her bio is like six feet tall. I'm not six feet tall. So I cannot be violating that. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't copyright her hairstyle. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that definitely looks like that could have come from me. Like someone could have used me as inspiration as well as some of the other Power Girl cosplayers as inspiration because they'll be like, you know, I'm looking at that and be like, oh, it's you. And I'm like, no, that one definitely wasn't me. But that one over there, that one looks like me. That's my <laughs> hairstyle, and that's you know. So when you're when you're dealing with that, no, there's parody laws that protect people from doing this. Right. I'm five foot five. I don't weigh 185 pounds. I'm not six feet tall. I actually don't even have blue eyes. I can wear contacts, but so what? Those are protected as well. So when you start dealing with that, now, if you want to look at cosplay prints and you want to put the name Ms. Marvel on it in your cosplay, now you're violating copyright. Right. Because you're using their name. Right. But just having a picture of a cosplayer as that character in a print is legally sellable in the United States. Hmm. That's Good interesting. I, that's, and then I always wondered about that after. I, should, I guess I should have done my own research. But <laughs> Now, here's where it gets interesting. People out there who don't like the idea of a cosplayer as a legislator say, I don't sound educated enough. Uh, well, that's definitely <laughs> false. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, say, that does not sound true at all. No. <laughs> Having my brain exploded with information over yeah. here. It's awesome. I, I didn't know we were going to be going to class today. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're always going class when you got Nicole. People Absolutely. in New York, I should be in New York right now, and I always end up on these huge stands in the aisles, and there's people surrounding <laughs> me, and all of these huge lectures, and I have to kind of stop myself like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, no, let's go. Has there been any news at a New York Comic Con that you've heard this weekend that you were interested in? I heard that there's a lot of line issues. Oh. Um, however, New York has been trying to push uh, buying your tickets ahead of time and mailing it to you. So if you didn't buy your tickets early enough to get a mail to you, you had to go wait in line. Sorry, buddy. That came along with Phoenix Comic Con, too. And that was a big issue we had. People saying, I was outside for four hours. <laughs> you know better. <laughs> you you know you live in Phoenix. You know yeah. it's hot. Take some water. Take an umbrella. Yeah. I'm so sorry for anyone that, that did have any issues. I do want to say that Phoenix Comic Con handled it as quickly efficiently as possible they did apologize so quit riding them about it okay yeah, they're trying to fix yeah. it for next time i do respect phoenix comic-con they always try to put on a good convention i respect that they work with a lot of charity groups kids need to read has developed so much from being a free little booth space at comic-con now they've got an entire island and joss whedon <laughs> donated fifty thousand dollars to them That's they have wild. their own building in my district i'm so happy <laughs> um, so yeah i love what they've done and that's Phoenix Comic-Con has helped do that. Yep. And people a lot of times get angry when someone starts to become big and looking like they're more profitable. Right. But do we want Phoenix Comic-Con, who cares about our community doing it? Or do we want Wizard World coming in? No. That doesn't care at all. No, it yeah. doesn't give a crap. So. <laughs> well, we've got Phoenix be- Comic-Con oh, is the, the one that I enjoy the most out of the year. So that, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's such a, on the inside is also great as well as on the outside. So we've only got about like four minutes left here, so I'll throw a quick question your way, if and you can answer it or not. Um, so San Diego Comic-Con, should it stay in San Diego or should it move? 
I think if it moves, it's going to be uh, detrimental to them. I don't really see it as much of a Comic-Con anymore. It's really a big place for uh, big buyers to right. come in and get those those hard-to-find products. And then you see them five minutes later anyway. When people say, I want to go to San Diego, I'm like, you know what? Go to Phoenix. You'll save a ton of money <laughs> and a lot less hassle. I think San Diego's great. I enjoy it. The weather's beautiful. But... Let's give someone else a turn. They should stay where they are. A lot of things are going outside of the venue. Right. I also think that they need to completely block off gas lamp to uh, oh, yeah. through traffic. That would be the smartest thing they could do, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. it's pretty chaotic down there. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess with that being said, do you want to kind of tell everybody where they can find all of your stuff and find out more about you and things like that? Yeah, you can find me at azpowergirl.com. Like the letters A Z, like Arizona. <laughs> uh, Power Girl, it's all one word.com. If you want to look at my political campaign, AZ Power Girl, the number for the letter U.com. If you Google AZ Power Girl, you'll find me everywhere. My handle on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook is all AZ Power Girl. So please look me up. If you have any questions, message me directly. I will do my best to answer them. And if you want to have me on, any of your all's other podcasts or anything, please hit me up. Absolutely. Love to. Uh, thank you for being in the show. Yes, and, uh, thank you so much for uh, Now we know out. that you know we can come up and say hi to you at, the, at conventions <laughs> and be okay. Hugs keep me warm. <laughs> uh, what next conventions are you going to be at? So the next convention I'm going to be at is uh, Santa Fe Comic-Con, but I will have some product at Phoenix Fan Fest. Uh, my husband, Alfred Trujillo, will be there. He'll have some of my stuff. I'll be at Santa Fe. My apologies. I love you, Phoenix. <laughs> They're having me as a guest and, uh, you know, try to branch out to as much as I can. Oh, of course, yeah. I will also be at Kamikaze in uh, Los Angeles, Halloween Very weekend. Cool. And I got some other stuff coming up. Tucson. I will be at Tucson as well as I will be at First Friday. So I'm going to do Tucson and First Friday. Alfred's going to set up in Tucson. I'll be at First Friday because it is so close to the election. And uh, I'll be kind of swinging between... Both of them. I will also be at Second Friday in Mesa, downtown Mesa, in my district as well. So please, come on by Second Friday in Mesa. I'm usually over by uh, Cross Street from Volstead or over by uh, the record store. So I'm down on the street. Come see me. I will not be in costume, but I'm definitely there to come chit-chat with. Very cool. Thank you. We just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh, coming down here and talking to us. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, well, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Richard? I am uh, at Ry Cohen, so R-I-C-O-W-N. And uh, we're also at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. And check us out on Facebook and check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the network. But until next week, uh, this has been the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.